Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Good morning, everyone. Have you ever had to speak uncomfortable truths to those in power? Maybe at work or at home or broadly, more broadly speaking in the nation, maybe even in church. Speaking truth to power is hard. But today, as we continue our series uh, looking at the book of Daniel, we see an example of someone speaking truth to power in the most authentic, powerful, and godly of ways. The story so far. uh, Last week, we were looking at Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and uh, some of his uh, friends, in fact, most of the young men of Judah were taken into exile in Babylon, where effectively the idea was to brainwash them so that they might grow up to become Babylonian men. But Daniel and his friends resisted that brainwashing. But they did it in such an authentic and godly way that actually they earned for themselves respect and positions of authority. Today, then, we turn to chapter 2. And it's a really long chapter, so we haven't got time to read all of it. Priya is going to read for us the second half of the chapter in just a moment. But before then, I want to uh, just give a brief synopsis of what happens in the first part. So, the ruler of the Babylonian Empire is King Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar, we'll just call him King Neb for now. And King Neb was mad. Stark, raving, bonkers. Balmy, a fruit loop, a sandwich sort of a picnic, knock-knock, twirly-whirly, and quite possibly, cuckoo. Alongside that, he was an egomaniac. Now that is a heady mixture for any leader, let alone for the most powerful man in the known world. I don't know if you can think of any recent examples uh, of that. And King Neb uh, had been having some disturbing dreams, and one in particular had really stuck with him, and he wanted it interpreted. So he called to uh, his throne room uh, the wisest people that he knew. He summoned his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he said to them, I want you to interpret my dream for me. Fine, they said, absolutely fine. I mean, after all, this was right within their ballpark. They were magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers after all. Absolutely, just tell us your dream, and we'll interpret it for you. Ah, 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 said King Neb. No, 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 no. No, I'm not going to tell you the dream. That would be far too easy. Fruit Loop, remember. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You've got to tell me what I dreamed, and then interpret it for me. At which point, there was a sudden clickety-clackety-clack, 
as all the knees of the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers began knocking together in fear. It is never good news when a Fruit Loop egomaniac leader tells you something like this. And, as if to confirm their worst suspicions, King Neb says to them, by the way, uh, if you can't do this for me, I am going to kill you all and burn down everything that you own. The magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers uh, went into complete panic. They said, we we can't do this for you. Only the gods can tell you that, and the gods do not walk amongst men. In fact, it's only Daniel who doesn't panic. When he hears about this, he very calmly goes to King Neb and says to him, just give me a couple of days, and I'll come back to you with the interpretation. He goes away, gathers his friends, his pals, his buddies, his bezies, his BFFs, etc., and they pray together. And God answers their prayer, gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation. And so Daniel goes back to King Neb. And Priya is going to take over the story for us from here. Thanks, Priya. Thanks, Ben. So as we already know now, the reading is from the book of Daniel. That's chapter 2, verses 24 to 49. Daniel interprets the dream. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah, Who can tell the king what his dream means? The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. 
the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And, and just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much, Priya. We're going to come to the dream itself and its interpretation in a few minutes. But before that, I do want to focus a bit on this idea of speaking truth to power. That phrase itself, speaking truth to power, so far as we know, uh, originates from a 1950s American pamphlet uh, entitled Speak Truth to Power, the Quaker quest for an answer to nonviolence. But the concept has been around for much longer than that. We can go right back to ancient Greek, we can, with the word parisia, which means something very similar. Um, and then coming right back again to the, into last century, Gandhi, he had something called satyagraha, which means uh, literally truth force. And this idea is about speaking truth, perhaps quite uncomfortable truths, to those who are in authority, and perhaps who particularly do not want to hear the truths that need to be spoken to them. 
We might think of examples like Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the USSR or Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1930s Germany. Maybe even the scientists who last January and February were trying to persuade world governments of an upcoming threat called COVID-19. I don't know if you know what happened about that. And then there was Jesus, perhaps the best example of all. Jesus, who was extraordinarily generous, welcoming, open and inclusive to those on the outside. But to those in power the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the members of the Jewish ruling council. He was very happy to speak truth to them. But it's not always grand world-changing events. Actually, all of us at some point or other are called to speak truth to power. Perhaps, most commonly, in the workplace. I wonder, have you ever had to speak truth to power? Or perhaps, on reflection, you wish you had spoken truth to power. Or maybe there's an example in your life right now. Or perhaps it's something that you can see uh, looming in the future. At work, perhaps, maybe you have a boss who is inappropriate. Or, or maybe there's a, a system, a structure within your workplace that is oppressive or intolerant. Or maybe it's not at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe you have a patriarch or a matriarch in your family who is dominating or domineering and who there needs to be some way of helping them to change. Or maybe it's something more broad than that. Maybe this is to do with writing a letter to an MP or signing petitions to try and get change in our nation or our world. Or maybe it's simply that you've got an associate vicar who you need to bring into line. Speaking truth to power... It's hard. So what can we learn from Daniel and the way that he went about doing that in this chapter? Five things. Firstly, Daniel was brave. Extraordinarily brave. So firstly, when he hears about the problem, he goes to King Neb before he even has an answer to it. He doesn't know what the deal is at this point, but he goes to King Neb and says, give me, give me a couple of days and I'll come back to you. That's both brave and also very faithful. He clearly has enormous amounts of faith in the God that he serves. And then perhaps even more extraordinary, when he does hear what the dream is and what its interpretation is, which, by the way, is basically telling the most powerful man in the world that his dynasty is going to crash and burn, he still goes to him. Now, I think if I was Daniel, I'd have done a Jonah and legged it in the opposite direction. But Daniel goes to the most powerful man in the world, this Fruit Loop egomaniac, to speak truth <coughs> Excuse me, to him. If we're going to speak truth to power, we're going to have to be brave about it. It is not an easy or a simple thing to do. And there are ramifications and consequences which we'll come to in a few moments' time. So Daniel was brave. Secondly, Daniel was prayerful. First thing he did when he heard the problem was he went and gathered his friends, and we'll talk a little bit more about friendship next week. He gathered his friends and they prayed together. What a prayer meeting that must have been. When your life is on the line, I reckon your prayers are pretty fervent. 
They prayed together. And their prayer consisted of three things. So Daniel petitioned God, really important. He came to God with his requests. Secondly, Daniel praised God. So once he'd uh, received uh, the, the answer from God, he praised him as a beautiful song of praise in the middle of this chapter. But thirdly, and most importantly for us today, Daniel listened to God. I wonder how much of your prayer life involves listening to God. I wonder whether some of us could be challenged today on that score. You see, prayer is a two-way conversation. And if our prayer life consists solely of talking at God, well, we're missing out. If our prayer life consists solely of coming to him with a shopping list of requests and not listening for the answers, then we are missing out. Listening to God, taking the time to listen to God is a crucial part of what it means to be a Christian. We haven't got time today to go into in any great detail how we might listen to God, the different ways that God might speak to us. If you would like to be refreshed on that, you could go back to the first sermon that I preached on Jonah back in January, where I looked at the five CSs from the Alpha course, which I think are really helpful. But for today, I just want to say, however you hear from God, take time and listen So Daniel was brave, and Daniel was prayerful. Thirdly then, Daniel was wise. We read about this in verse 14. Daniel was wise, both in the way that he dealt with uh, the commander of the king's guard, and also in the way that he dealt with King Neb himself. So firstly, Daniel accrued the knowledge that he needed to accrue. He uh, listened to God, and he got the dream and its interpretation. But wisdom is more than just knowledge. Wisdom is about how to apply that knowledge into real-life situations. And Daniel showed real wisdom in the way that he engaged with the various people in this story. Now, I wonder, what would it mean for you to be wise as you think about speaking truth to power? You need to make sure that you have the facts at your disposal. Make sure you really know what you're talking about before you speak truth into that particular situation. But more than that, think through, well, how does that apply? How is that worked out? What are the ramifications of it? Daniel was brave, he was prayerful, and he was wise. Then fourthly, Daniel was tactful. Again, we read about that in verse 14. Now, being tactful is really important. It is easy when we're speaking truth to power, particularly if that power is people who are loud and bolshy and strong, to think that we have to do the same. And we do have to be strong, but we don't necessarily have to be loud and bolshy. Daniel was tactful. We can see in the way that he dealt with King Neb. So he was going to King Neb to say, your kingdom is going to crash and burn. But notice the way he begins. He begins by saying, you know, you are the king of kings. God has set you across the whole of the earth. You're amazing. Now, we have to be careful of false flattery, of course. But it is prudent to be tactful when we want to 
uh, speak truth to power. We don't have to shout and scream and rant and rave. We don't have to be the same as those people in power. Actually, we can be tactful in the way we do it, and often that is the way that we will find most success. So Daniel was brave, he was prayerful, he was wise, he was tactful, and fifthly, and finally, he was humble. In verse 30, we see this. Daniel could have gone to King Neb and said, look, none of these other magicians, uh, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers could tell you what you need to know, but I can, me, Daniel, Dan the man, I've got it sorted. But he doesn't. Instead, he does quite the opposite. He almost takes himself out of the equation. He gives all the glory to God. He says, they're right, actually. Only God can tell you this. And he has. If we're going to speak truth to power, we need to be humble. Now, humility is not the opposite of being brave or being strong. We have to be those things. But we need to be humble in the way that we address those in authority. We need to be aware that we don't have all the answers. As Christians, this is something we have to be particularly aware of. We can often be seen as know-it-alls. But we're not. We're aware that it's God who is the revealer of mysteries. We give glory to him and we approach speaking truth to power with humility and grace. So Daniel was brave, he was prayerful, he was wise, he was tactful and he was humble. And if we, in whatever situation it is that we are facing, want to speak truth to power, we couldn't do much better than following his example. But two things to say following on from that. And these are hard truths to hear. The first is that speaking truth to power is costly. When we speak truth to power, we can lose friendship, respect, status, potentially our jobs, in extreme cases, even losing liberty or life. You can see that in people down through the ages. Speaking truth to power is costly. And if we're going to do it, we need to be aware of it. And secondly, speaking truth to power does not always have the results that we want. Even if we are as excellent as Daniel, even if we're brave, prayerful, wise, tactful, and humble, we might not see the results that we want. In this passage, it looks like Daniel has seen the results he wants. Towards the end, we see King Neb falling uh, on his face and proclaiming that God is the God of God and the Lord of Kings and declaring his allegiance to God and elevating Daniel to a high position. Wonderful! Daniel's got just what he wanted. But we only have to go as far as turning over to the next chapter to see it all come crashing down again. King Neb ironically setting up a golden statue of himself and decreeing that anyone who doesn't worship it is going to be killed. Actually, speaking truth to power does not always see the results that we want. And so if then speaking truth to power is really costly and if we can't guarantee the results of it, well, why should we bother? And for that, I want to look at the dream and the interpretation itself. So, 
the dream. A quick reminder. So the dream that King Neb has is of this enormous statue, head of gold, uh, torso and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs and feet of iron mixed with clay. And then a rock comes along and smashes the clay feet. And in doing so, the whole statue comes crashing down. And then this little rock grows and grows until it covers the whole earth. The interpretation? Well, actually, Daniel only gives King Neb part of the interpretation, the part that particularly applies to him. So he says that these four uh, different parts of the statue represent four kingdoms. And he tells King Neb that the first kingdom the kingdom of gold, is King Nebuchadnezzar himself, King Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, the Babylonian empire. But that that kingdom is going to be supplanted by another made of silver, and then another made of bronze, and another one made of iron mixed with clay. But actually, we don't get the interpretation of who those are. We do hear that the kingdom of iron mixed with clay is going to be both strong and brittle, and then that during the time of that kingdom, this rock will come, and this represents a fifth kingdom, but a kingdom that's different to all the others, a kingdom that will last forever. It won't surprise you to know that theologians have debated and argued about the meaning of this dream uh, for many centuries. Theologians do love to debate and to argue. So there's various different possibilities. The most common interpretation of this, and the one that I subscribe to, because for me it seems to make most sense both historically and theologically, is as follows. So the golden kingdom is the Babylonian empire. The silver is the Medo-Persian empire, which comes straight after the Babylonian one and covered most of the ancient Near East. After that, we have the bronze empire, which is the Greek empire. Then we have uh, the iron and clay empire, which is the Roman empire. So these four kingdoms, which followed fairly hot on the heels of one another, covering much of the known world at the time. I think it makes sense for the Roman Empire to be that iron and clay one for two reasons. Uh, Firstly, I think it's fair to say that the Roman Empire was both the strongest and the most brittle of all the empires. It spread itself so thinly and was made up of so many different peoples uh, that it it was both strong in terms of its reach uh, but also brittle. And secondly, because I believe that uh, the, uh, the rock represents Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus. And of course, Jesus came uh, during the time of the Roman Empire. And then it is, of course, Jesus' empire, which is eternal, that has no end. It's worth noting that the four metals used uh, to describe these earthly kingdoms um, have uh, strong significance. So gold and silver represented wealth, prestige, and majesty. And bronze and iron represented strength, power, and might. So between them, those four kingdoms had everything you could possibly want in an earthly kingdom. Wealth, prestige, majesty, strength, power, and might. What more could you ask for? And yet the point is that in the end, all earthly kingdoms are built on clay. And actually, Jesus' kingdom doesn't, on the face of it, have any of those things. Actually, his kingdom is built on love and self-sacrifice. And yet, it's that kingdom that endures 
and lasts forever. And so, somewhat ironically, really, we get taken back to verse 11 of this chapter, where the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers say to the king, only the gods can interpret this dream, and gods do not walk amongst men. Actually, the whole point of the dream is that God will walk amongst men. And for us, looking back, that he did in the person of Jesus, and that that kingdom is the one that lasts forever. And so, why should we speak truth to power? when it's costly and we might not see the results we want? Well, because we are citizens of Jesus' kingdom. Because we are part of his kingdom of love and self-sacrifice. And as we seek to follow him, we follow the way of the cross. And that may mean for us speaking truth for power. It might mean sacrifices in our own lives. But we do it because of love. Because as we follow Jesus, we live out that love and that truth. And we do so even if that means that we have to make sacrifices ourselves. So, this week then, or this month, when you face that decision at work or home or church or you know, more broadly speaking, in our nation or our world? Will you stand up and speak truth to power? If so, be brave and prayerful, wise, tactful, and humble. And do it following Jesus as a citizen of his loving and self-sacrificial kingdom. Amen. We're going to have a moment of quiet. I want you to reflect on if that is something that applies to you at the moment, and if it is, to have a chat with God about what you might do. And then I'll pray, and then we'll sing together. So let's be quiet. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and the way he showed us how to live. Lord, if today you are prompting us in a particular way, we pray that our our ears will be open to you, Lord God. Give us the bravery we need to step out in faith for you. Help us to be prayerful, Lord God, and wise and tactful and humble. Lord, we pray for us as individuals, for us as a church, and for us as your worldwide church. Help us to speak truth to power as we follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church.
God bless you and have a wonderful week.